Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by our co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Wednesday, October 7th. And uh, John, we have some, some, unbeknownst to us, some really great news and some great, great things about this specific podcast that have been taking place. Uh, would you like to do the honors? Yeah, I mean... We, we always we always like to think uh, we're a reflection of um, the Michigan State program and uh, was a shock to find out that we are a top 20 listen to SB Nation podcast. I prefer the chip on our shoulder. I, I prefer the disrespect, honestly. Um, but Mel Tucker, new era, you know, expectations are higher maybe with this new regime and you know, with that, the Only Colors podcast entered into the top 20 most listened to podcasts, and we were shocked, humbled. Um, <laughs> thank you to you listeners. Um, now I'm just hungry for more, you know? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. You know, uh, listen, guys, we're not too proud to beg. A couple more retweets and could probably crack, uh, you know, a, a little bit higher on that position. But um, yeah, I think it's just a testament to, you know, how great a group of, of listeners that we have. The fact that you guys actually seem to enjoy us rambling on and on incoherently, uh, once typically once a week, sometimes less. Um, we just want to thank you guys. Not that it really benefits us in any way, you know, aside from just having fun with you guys. Uh, but, um, it's cool. It's cool to be recognized. And obviously we love we love um, doing this and hope to do it, you know, hope to enjoy it this year, really. So football is actually starting and, you know, you guys uh, hopefully keep tuning in. So I just wanted to take a moment before we got going here to to recognize everyone. And, um, you know, much like our podcast is top 20, I think we're all kind of hoping Michigan State can flirt with that general area in the rankings as well. Uh, yeah, well, listen, I'm not saying they're going to by any stretch, but I would like you know, well, that's where we want to be. Why not? Sure. Why not be bold? I don't as think a program, it's going to happen, yes. but <laughs> as um, a program, yes, I'm, I'm aligned. But, but the biggest thing, the thing that has to happen, Austin, if that is going to happen, if this is going to be a top 20 program again, like it was for the last, you know, decade plus, go on, gotta figure out the offensive line. Oh, uh, John, that is why. We are a top 20. That was a top 20 broadcast transition right there. Um, well done. And you are right. That brings us to a, yet another one of our position previews here. You guys last week know that we did the, um, well, we've done the quarterbacks and then we did the running backs and receivers, all the flashy positions. Now we're getting into the real grit, the meat. 
uh, and that is the offensive line. John, like you said, this is a position group that uh, has been, we'll call it inconsistent, if nothing else, throughout you know, really the last 20 to 30 years, it's always, it seems like one of the bigger question marks year in and year out um, for, for everybody. And this is kind of where the college elites separate themselves. Um, the big boy programs are, are the ones, the Bamas, the Clemsons that are out there. You know, when you pl- when your team plays one of them, you notice it in the trenches, arguably more than, than anywhere else. Uh, and that is going to be one of the goals of, of Mel Tucker and his new offensive line and running game coach, Chris Kapilovic, is, is to turn Michigan State into a place that uh, attracts, call it Wisconsin-like talent along that offensive line. And I think it's worth talking about Kapilovic and, and what he's done, because I know back back when the initial hires, you know, Mel Tucker's staff was really announced, his you wouldn't think that a running game coach and a, a run in an offensive line coach is one that would garner a lot of attention, but this one did from a lot of the industry insiders. They said, this is a, as good a hire as he could possibly be making at this point in time. And, and what it signals about what Mel Tucker wants, the fact that they kept him around from Colorado where he was at right when the first change was made before Tucker hired any assistance, there was talk that Kapilovic might end up being the head coach at Colorado. If he would have, uh, stuck around. So needless to say, a very well-respected uh, and, and bright football mind and um, exciting to think that he is going to play such an integral role in what Michigan State's going to do both now and, and into the future. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're blind to the fact that, you know, Mel, whether it's a destination job or not for him, you know, he he needs to win and win right away. And this was his first phone call. And I think that like that screams confidence for me when, when you, when you're building a staff and um, you know, while, while I don't, I wouldn't, won't pretend to know uh, a ton about how he's different uh, maybe from other offensive line coaches, uh, the results have clearly transitioned quickly for him under his, uh, tutelage when he was with Colorado and even before. So do you want to take him, take uh, some of the listeners through some of his bio? Cause I think that might be a good way. Absolutely. To yeah. So for those who don't know Chris Kapilovic, yeah, that's, first of all, that's how you say his name. I think that's a great place to start. Um, he's a real football guy. He has his email listed on Michigan state's website as football at msu.edu, which I just really appreciate because he's like, I'm not, we're not going to do anything but just football here. We're, we're going to talk. I'm not giving you my personal email. You just email me at football. Um, so I love that. Um, but a couple things to notice, he has almost 30 years of coaching experience. He's been an offensive coordinator and or run game coordinator at Southern Miss, North Carolina, and then Colorado. Coached multiple NFL players, first round draft picks, and had record setting offenses. So it's not like he's new to the game of big boy football. It's not like he's new to um, you know, power five football. Uh, so he's, he, he's been around the block. I think what's really interesting about him too is, is yeah, he has 30 years of experience, but he's only 51 years old and coaching, uh, coaching years. He's, he's, he's still young for all intents and purposes. Um, some of the really interesting stats from last year at Colorado, as we kind of work our way back in time is that the Buffaloes allowed the third fewest sacks in the PAC 12. And his grad transfer, Arlington Hambright, earned honorable mention all conference honors last year. So 
putting those two things together, I think is really interesting because he had a very successful unit allowing the third fewest sacks in the Pac-12 and also only had one real call it a standout honorable all-conference player. Um, the fact that he's able to pull together a really good unit without, you know, it's not like he went to Bama or Clemson, the schools I just named a second ago, and inherited some loaded roster. He was still able to put together a really good group and protect his quarterback with really, for all intents and purposes, no um, standout talent. So I thought that was pretty um, encouraging, especially considering the group that <laughs> he's taking over and he's lancing and some of the things that they may leave him wanting for. Um, he did spend seven seasons at North Carolina and uh, set a few records. 2012 and 2015, his teams scored over 40 points a game. Total offense, he had multiple teams that averaged over 480 yards per game and uh, multiple offenses that averaged in the top 10 in scoring offense. Yeah, um, and I think I think one thing that I, is important to call out is like a little context to that. Um, the number that was most important to me was no sacks, right? Yeah. Especially when you have a brand new quarterback. And the context I think is important there is Colorado was, that wasn't a result of Colorado running the ball like 80% of the time. Um, right. They almost had a 50-50 exact split in attempts of passes versus rushes a game. So I think that's just really important to consider. Like, it's not like he, they had the third lowest sacks in the conference because the quarterback never dropped back. Like he made he made a pretty decent offensive line and pass protection, despite as you mentioned a complete lack of top end talent. And that's all I needed to hear. So yeah, exactly. To see how that looks. So it's exciting, you know. That's and and that is certainly no guarantee of you know what's gonna happen in East Lansing. But as indicators go, that is that is a pretty exciting one. Um, and, and in 2018, two seasons ago, his unit and North Carolina allowed just 10 sacks all season, which is the fourth fewest in FBS. So the last two seasons now at two different school, schools, he's been able to um, do that, you know, some really, really impressive stuff uh, when it comes to, you know, protecting his quarterback. And again, that's that's something that he's going to have to do uh, in, in East Lansing. And I thought this was... You know, we're reading through this, and we're like, oh, this is great, this is great, this is great. And then part of me reads this next part and goes, oh, no. And then I kind of come back around and I'm like, well, never mind, that's actually great. Um, in 2016, Kapilovic's offense, led by quarterback Deep Gulp, Mitch Trubisky, set the school passing yards record for the fifth season in a row, won eight games, and earned a berth in the Sun Bowl. Trubisky obviously went on to be the number two pick. Uh, and was one of 10 Tar Heels to either be drafted or signed by an NFL team under Kapilovic. Okay, so, yeah, you hear the name. <laughs> you, you hear the name, Mitch Trubisky, and you're not you're, – one's first reaction is not excitement. Uh, however, spin zone, however, the fact of the matter is he made Mitch Trubisky into – he was a huge part of the reason Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky got drafted number two overall uh that honestly is as encouraging as basically anything that you can tell me about uh, a coach so obviously that's that's um super i would say super exciting um so obviously uh Kapilovic, you know to, to put a bow on it Kapilovic really um 
comes in with a ton of experience, a ton of success, uh, and really has done an excellent job in places like North Carolina and Colorado and Southern Miss, not exactly talent hotbeds. And he's done a great job of still turning in successful offenses uh, at every stop. So that's that's really, really important. So that's I feel like that's important historical context on uh, our new offensive line coach, Chris Capillary. Which is great because we have so many – the offensive line is a really, really um, – I think we made this myth, this Judd Hate Keith got joke before where he said the – where he said, you know, the good news is we have everybody back. The bad news is we have everybody back. And um, this offensive line is quite seasoned um, as it relates to starts and um, snaps. Now, is is it top end Big Ten? Not with a no. At least not with <laughs> at least not with Jim Bowman as their uh, positions coach. Could right. they be above average? with a new coach yet to be seen um there's a as i mentioned there are um going to be three redshirt seniors that are in the rotation at and then three redshirt four redshirt juniors who will um have a crack at the rotation as well so like take that for what it is and then there's a sprinkle in a bunch of talent that everyone should actually be truly excited about are they ready for the big stage that young talent will get into, we don't know. Um, but like we said, it's a little bit like the, maybe it's not quite like the wide receivers, but it's just like a lot of people who have seen a lot of field time, maybe not a ton of great results. Maybe that can change with a new um, angle on on coaching. And just throwing this out there while I'm piling on with the, from the last regime, thrilled to hear that the offensive line is doing novel things like stretching before and after <laughs> scrimmages in practice oh which my goodness is something that i believe matt allen called out and it's like oh no i mean yeah that's awesome guys pumped to hear it really disappointed that this wasn't part of your day yeah, you know maybe we didn't know how far the bottom of the barrel really was uh and it, you know part of me hears that and is like oh well if if that's all it takes to be better than horrible, then, you know, yeah. Like, I'll tell you great. what it can't hurt. I'll tell, <laughs> great. You, I'll tell you what, what it can't hurt is, is the injuries that this unit has consistently seen over the past, what, 10 plus years longer. Yeah. Um, ideally, this is, I, you know, at a certain point, there's got to be a correlation to the, the strength and conditioning methods and or lack thereof. So I'm uh, interested to see how that changes or doesn't, you know, with different variables in place. But um, as we mentioned, um, there are a handful of guys that we think are probably locks for the starting five and then a handful of that, that um, will be contending. But Austin, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Let's let's start at the tackle position. Yeah, sure. So First and foremost, just to your point on the conditioning and all of that stuff, I think the once again, we've mentioned him already a couple of times, the addition of Jason Novak uh, as the strength and conditioning coach, I think could end up playing a bigger role with this group than, than anybody else. Between Novak and Kapilovic, I mean, you're talking about a total overhaul of just the way that your program approaches a position group. And 
a very important position group at that. Um, one that needs to be needs to be good in order for Michigan State to, to honestly have have any hope at uh, even I would say flirting with 500 this year. If this is an objectively horrible unit, uh, MSU is just they just simply put they're they're just not going to do much this year because until we know more about what Rocky Lombardi or Theo Day or whomever is going to do as the starting quarterback, this team's going to run the ball a lot. And even regardless of how good any of them are, because that's just what Mel Tucker teams want to do. It's what Chris Kapilovic team want to do. It's historically what Michigan State teams would love to do. Uh, so that is, that is going to be the identity of, of this team uh, for better or worse. So if this, the, I say all that to say this, Offensive line's bad. This offense is going to be really bad, uh, like really bad. So saying all that, uh, like you said, John, there are some good, uh, you know, seasoned vets, like you said, that that are going to be willing to compete. And I think one thing, the way that I kind of approach this position when I started looking at it is all we know is that we don't know anything. Now, like I want to break this down and say, okay, the real competitors for left guard are this guy and this guy. But in all reality, with those new names that I just mentioned being the ones that are kind of overhauling the way MSU even does the offensive line, the what they look for, what what they're going to value out of certain positions and players and things like that. I don't really know that we know guys that may have played tackle before might end up playing guard guys that played guard might play tackle. I don't think it's really at this point, very easy to say who's going to end up where now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of make our bets here. We're going to just say odds on um, here's who we think the tackles will probably be. Here's who we think the guards will probably be, et cetera, et cetera. So long winded way of saying, I think the tackles, the, the only sure thing at tackle to me, is and if you even want to call him that is probably AJR Curie, uh, and in all likelihood, I would imagine he is probably a left tackle type prospect. I, I I don't want to put him down in pen there, but I'd say he is the closest thing to a sure bet uh, you're going to get outside of the center position, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, he played. I think you you know listen. The Michigan State offensive line was never great the last couple of years, but I think you saw it take a significant step forward when Arcuri was in there and able to play. He is a honestly kind of a physical specimen. He played well, protected the quarterbacks, blindsides. I would say with you know respectably, uh, and now with a year of teaching, I think he's the type of dude you look at and you have can have legitimate hopes that he's going to step into something you know more than just a, a role player type of guy um so i think at yeah. tackle he he's one name i would feel confident is going to be a starter at one of those two positions my bet would be left tackle yeah i, I guess austin you're right it, it's funny because like you said it's there are it's there's a little bit of uncertainty here um but at the same time like we have some we have a pretty good idea we just don't know where they're going to go <laughs> Right. That's exactly right. It's a big ball of clay and it's just up to us. You know, it's up to the, the, you know, Kapilovic to really mold it and figure out where he's going to put his best assets. I think the starting combination is probably let you could probably narrow down the five, six, seven at tops. It's going to, we know the group and our Curie will definitely be part of it. I think the right tackle position will be really, really interesting. I, I actually kind of want to work my way across the line instead of just going with tackles, but starting a left tackle, you've got our Curie. Uh, the left guard, either really either guard position, I think is, is going to be 
extremely interesting to 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 evaluate because you have a lot of you just this is where you have like a lot of guys. You've got Luke Campbell, who's one of those redshirt seniors. You've got JD Duplain, who played a lot as a true freshman and will be a true sophomore this year. You got Damon Kaler, who's in the same boat. You've got Matt Carrick, who's been a redshirt junior. You got Blake Buter. You've got James Ahonba. You've got Kevin Jarvis. I mean, these are all names of players that are either reasonably high recruits or have a de- decent amount of, of playing time. Mm-hmm. My guess would be to start the season uh kind of the same applying the same rocky lombardi principle to to this group i think the seniors are probably going to be or you know the upperclassmen are probably going to be the ones to get the benefit of the doubt just because they have um you know that history and knowing that i think luke campbell and kevin jarvis are probably the odds on favorite to be the starters at guard but i will caveat that with the fact that jarvis did kick out and play tackle a decent amount last year uh and Really, when you look down, not to skip ahead here, but when you look down at that position, there is no logical shoe-in type of fit. And one of the reasons for that is that Jordan Reed, three-year starter at that position, has opted out of this season. Now, depending on who you ask, that's either a huge deal or kind of like an addition by subtraction thing. Reed struggled to keep that spot for for pretty much his entire time he had the spot. And uh Really, it was pretty small, all things considered, for an offensive uh, lineman who was, you know, playing right tackle in the Big Ten. Um, so his his loss will surely be felt, if for no other reason than it's a warm body that is no longer there. So his yeah. departure really does open up some some serious, I, I mean, opportunities really for other guys to to get more PT than they would have before. Yeah, I I, I want to jump in real quick with a couple comments on on Jordan one um totally respect and love that absolutely making the choice to you know opt out and that you know the Big Ten will be honoring his scholarship which is great um and and anyone who feels that way should should totally do it um number two I'm as you know I'm 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 never a guy that usually gets down on and you know any any MSU players because well one they're amateur athletes but but two it's all about putting people in positions to succeed I think long time mm-hmm. listeners sure. know that that's my biggest gripe with um you know coaching staffs in general it's like you know when you put Jordan Reed at right tackle you're making a decision and that decision is 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 a little bit unfair to a lot of people and you know you kind of that's what you it's not surprising the results that took place, you know, when, yeah, when you sure. talked about when, when you put someone that's undersized at that position, especially in the big 10, um, when you're playing against teams that have elite level talent at the, at the uh, edge rusher, um, when you play, you know, Penn state, Ohio state, Michigan, it's not going to go well, you know? And so, you, to your point about this being a huge opportunity and a kind of a big hole to fill, um, I think there are a couple choices that MSU fans would like to see. Um, who it will be, I don't know. But what are, what are your thoughts? Who will who will get a shot at it? Yeah, that well, first and foremost, you're you're absolutely right about his you know decision, at, at, you know, uh, choosing to not. Uh, participate in this season uh, completely respectable and that is you know I didn't mean to and I don't think you're saying this but I didn't mean to come off as like 
knocking that at all. I think he is, I couldn't respect the decision more and I hope nothing but the best for Jordan. It's just at that position, you know, you were left wanting more often than not when Mm -hmm. he was playing. I think had there been a viable replacement, probably would have gotten a decent amount of tick. But now uh, that's not really a question anymore. There, there has to be a replacement. And I think in a perfect world, you've got, um, you know, Jarvis staying in there at guard and not kicking out to tackle, but it, it, I wouldn't be shocked if, if that did happen. Now let's, let's say that he stays in a tackle there, you know, they're like, we're keeping Jordan or we're, we're keeping him where we want him. We're going to figure out the other position. Uh, I would say the odds on favorites are probably the odds on favorite to me is probably got to be Devonte Dobbs. Now Devonte Dobbs brought in as a four or five star recruit, depending on what service is your uh, flavor. And was was really kind of like the star of MSU's recruiting class once upon a time. Um, he played some last year as a true freshman, uh, ended up redshirting, which is pr- probably my favorite rule they put into place in college football ever. Uh, he had the ability to still play, get experience, but did ultimately save your eligibility, which is a, a huge deal for, for a, especially a program like Michigan State. Uh, so super exciting that that he's coming in as a redshirt freshman with more experience certainly than the average redshirt freshman um i think it's got to be his job i I mean it it's an opportunity to kind of just see what you got and 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 take a risk on your um kind of just let talent win out you know what i mean like he's 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 got the most talent of of anybody i mean there are some other names spencer brown another redshirt freshman who is you know admittedly uh, as the coaches have said, admittedly raw, but just oozing with talent. Um, it's a guy that they've d- considered putting on the defensive line because he's so athletic, uh, but I think ultimately would benefit Michigan State probably as a tackle more than anything else. I think he could get a look. I think Mustafa Khalifa could get a look and just also has an awesome name. Um, those would <laughs> probably be my, my, my main candidates. If it's me, which we're all lucky it's not, I would probably just let Dobbs roll out there for the first couple of games. He, you know, he's got the size, you know, he's got the overall talent. Um, you just got to see what you got in this guy, I think. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the great experiment back to our favorite part about this, this year is uh, if things go sour or, you know, maybe aren't, as, as great as we want, we get to put the big old fat asterisks on the whole thing and say, oh, ah, yeah. ah, ah, who cares? You know, it didn't matter. And and if MSU goes nine and zero, it's it's a def. It all mattered. It was very real. And uh, oh, of course. <laughs> well, there is there there's something to that in like a non us just messing around sense of like you know, Mel Tucker. This is probably the only year where you're going to get the opportunity to just be like, nothing really matters that much. Like I, you're not going to be held to this insane standard just because it's your first blush. It's the first time Michigan state fans have had a new coach in 15 years. Like, and we know all the crazy things that have happened literally since the day he was hired. So it's like, I don't think he's going to get this crazy, um, you know, he's not going to be held to these insane standards, but if he waits too much longer, like he waits another year, if he underachieves this year and then goes into next year and doesn't do well, like, you you know, things can pile up very quickly, but like 
I don't know. It, basically, what I'm saying is if there's a time to take a risk on just a, just keep putting a talented dude out there, this is the year to do it. Like set yourself up for next year when you give him the opportunity to be a little bit more advanced. Wouldn't you rather have the really talented guy with some snaps, even if it means coming with a couple more growing pains, than maybe giving snaps to uh, a guy like Luke Campbell out at tackle where he has played before or a redshirt junior who you're only getting one more year out of? No matter what, I would think investing in someone young like Dobbs, Duplain, Samick, these these young names is probably the the route that you should go in this position group where there are no um, you know returning surefire studs. Absolutely, so that's kind of how I would approach the the group in general. Um, I think what we've talked about, you know, the tackle spots are probably you know. Uh, I don't want to say locked up because they're, they're not at all. I think it could be a, a handful of guys, but I would think Dobbs and Arcuri are definitely the leaders in the clubhouse there. I think if all goes right, Jarvis and um, one of the youngsters, be it Samick or Duplain, is probably the the plays there. And then at center, I think, it, and I said before that Arcuri was the, one of the safest bets. The safest bet is Matt Allen starting at center. Like I, I'm, I'm confident of not a ton on this team, like from a personnel perspective. And he is probably the surest thing in the book. I mean, this dude has been on what, this is be his third year as a starter. He's an Allen. That's still going to matter to Mel Tucker. Um, he, he's run this line. He knows his guys. I think that he, he's already been, you know, uh, a, a louder voice in the locker room. He's clearly respected to me. Him starting at center is probably the biggest no brainer, but maybe on the entire team. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, you, you mentioned the legacy. I, I will call out that, Last year, to kind of shocking to a lot of people, Blake Buter did beat him out um, for true. snaps after the Arizona State game, I believe. Um, he wasn't able to maybe meet the expectations come, going against a really solid defensive tackle in Arizona, at Arizona State. I think they made a decision to switch it up. Now, um, I think the other thing that's going to be really important here that we didn't really talk about is um, consistency. Now, in the past D'Antonio regime, we, I think we all, like, for whatever reason, kind of fell into the line of thinking that the more people that play snaps and the more positions that they play, the better, because these guys get hurt all the time. Now, (laughs) now, (laughs) like, let's untangle that. If players aren't getting hurt all the time, then you don't necessarily need everyone to have experience at all the positions. And then they can become a bit more cohesive as a unit and grow together. Will Coach Cap be able, will he find five guys and just stick with five guys with obvious, you know, conditioning rotations? Or will it be a mix of, you know, five to nine guys? I don't know that answer. We don't know that answer. But I think it should be worth noting that there may be a different mm, approach or at least a fundamental thought process to how your offensive line should function with a new regime. And um, I'm all for that. So. Yeah. And I think that's one of those, those situations where like they were approaching it like a man, everybody keeps getting hurt. We should really play a bunch of guys instead of being like, well, why is everyone keep getting hurt? It's you're treating the symptom and not the, the illness, you know, as it were. Um, so I, I agree with you. And I think that again, there it's, it's funny as you start to really think about what having a new regime in town 
means like it's been so long since this has happened for Michigan State. I forgot like all of these little like there are a ton of changes like just in an, in in who they are as a program. Everything can kind of change. So I I do think that's a really interesting one. I if I'm wagering a guess, I'm saying that it's probably it actually probably will kind of resemble last year at least in the beginning. I'd imagine um, a because of that conditioning factor that you mentioned. Uh, especially here without a normal off season. And then B, because of, um, I would say there, again, there's no surefire studs here. So I, I think giving, especially if you're going to roll out there with the starters being, you know, um, some of the, if the starters are the upperclassmen, then giving these younger guys supplementary snaps, I think would be a good move. Uh, and I think will, will happen. Um, but yeah, I, I also do think though that when you find something that works, I hope they just stick with it because it felt like, you know, the dreaded hot hand at running back, you know, that that old cliche. Um, you just felt like, oh, we've got something good going here, and then you're like, okay, so let's change it right away and put somebody else in. <laughs> so I, I sure hope that that's a change. <laughs> so Austin, we talked about some young guys, but let's talk about some really young guys. There are some freshmen that are coming in, probably not going to see rotation but let's hear your thoughts yeah so offensive line one of the hardest places to make in an early impact and that was really where one of really last year's michigan state season was kind of an aberration because they had so many young guys basically here's a good way to think about it if you have a lot of young offensive linemen playing it's not a good thing it means <laughs> you've missed you you've swung and missed and you've done and you haven't developed your talent last year that was the case at msu um they just hadn't done a good enough job of of uh evaluating upperclassmen talent and it showed on the field and in the product so um all that being said uh hopefully you know when you hear about big offensive line recruits at michigan state is getting you're not actually seeing them on the field for a year or two because that means you've got the guys in front of them that are that are keeping you know allowing them to to get that critical like body type development um so having said all that there are only two Michigan State uh, recruits last year that are playing the offensive line. Both of them were three-star recruits named Dallas Fincher and Justin Stevens. Uh, Fincher checks in at 6'4", 279, so not huge. Is from the state of Michigan. Uh, you know, that's pretty good size for a tackle. Um, obviously, needs to put on a little bit of weight if he wants to really compete, especially given the guys that Mel Tucker is, is bringing in in his uh, you know successive classes here. But then you've also got Justin Stevens, who's actually Canadian and checks in at 6'7", 287. Now, if you're recruiting an 18 or 19-year-old offensive lineman, then you're like, we'd like to have a tackle someday. You can't really draw up better uh, measurables than 6'7", 287 as a, as a 19-year-old. Uh, That's pretty, pretty fantastic. So if nothing else, a, another great ball of clay for... Uh, the offensive staff to to mold there. Again, don't expect to hear much from these two, but the fact that they are going to be part of the program is is certainly exciting. And MSU will, once again, they'll have to replace three contributors next year. Uh, so these guys might end up uh, being a little more relevant than, than we had expected uh, sooner than we had expected. I think I even want to look ahead uh, an extra oh. year when it comes oh, to the man. offensive line. Yeah, into all the way into... Um, Mel Tucker's first real true recruiting class, which is currently still coming together. But j just 
to get an idea of, you know, what, what is he valuing? It might, you know, allow us to have some insights into, you know, what he thinks of, of the current group. And if that's any indication, he, he's going all hands on deck. Um, MSU currently has three offensive linemen committed to this class. Ethan Boyd, who's from Lansing, Kevin Wigginton, who's from Princeton, New Jersey, and then Gino Vandemark, who is uh, from Montvale, New Jersey. Uh, you, we've talked about all these guys at one point or another. Wigginton really is kind of leading the charge with New Jersey recruiting. Vandemark is currently the highest rated recruit in the class. And then Ethan Boyd, obviously huge to keep a guy uh, from your hometown in your backyard uh, in state. So Ethan Boyd, I think the, the biggest thing with these three is the measurables again. The shortest of them is 6'5", and the lightest of them is 290. That's Jeez. great. That's a different class of linemen than you are getting previously. And, and again, not to pick on Jordan Reed here, but Kevin Wigginton, Ethan Boyd, and Vandermark are all coming in with advantages that he simply never had. I mean, they all already weigh as much or more than he ever weighed. They're all taller than he was. It's just – and it's not to say that these guys are going to come in and be stars and all that stuff, but – but it's it's building a pipeline of depth. If if you have a top tackle go down, you're not bringing in six two two eighty. You're bringing in six seven two ninety. And that in and of itself makes a big difference. And again, the ball of clay analogy. You're giving great coaches really impressive physical athletes to work with. So what these these three tell me are. Mel Tucker is once again, he, he's the size and athleticism type. He wants to go for that, values it over maybe some of the other things it, in contrast to, to D'Antonio and that he clearly feels as though offensive line is an area of need and a priority to get three offensive linemen in this class. Um, it's matched by the four defensive backs and three defensive linemen. So you can tell that he's identified his, his problem areas and is going after them. So, uh, it, it's exciting to see where, you know, it wouldn't, I'll put it this way. It wouldn't take a lot for Tucker to put together the best offensive line Michigan state has had in 30 years. Is that a stretch to say? Um, maybe just because there's the, the one year we had two, two uh, NFL draft picks on the same line. That was a nice year. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and, and and I agree with all of that. But when you have two picks and the rest is meh, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, John, you always quote the the stat where it's you know MSU had never really had much of a successful run game, and to me, in I don't think it would take a tremendous amount for certainly based on the way that he's recruiting for Tucker to to put out a a, a unit that's competitive with that. You know, it's it's funny because every single year, Mark D'Antonio would say, pound, green, pound, right? And we were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of like Izzo, every single year is like, we want to get out and run. Or press, baby. It's like, it's like, stop, just stop. Because, you know, candidly, you know, while Mark D'Antonio actually really probably did want to, you know, have pound, green, pound, be the mentality, um, the record-setting year on offense um, even with Jeremy Langford, who had back-breaking runs, you know, to win how many games that magical season, MSU still finished fifth in the Big Ten that year in rushing. Like, that's bad. And that was, I mean, that is, that is, that is average, you know, just above. And that was the best year. 
So um, I think we're about to see something in hopefully completely change and pound green pound becomes an actual thing. That's when we can start to take Michigan State and the country can start to take them seriously again. You remember last year, it was over against Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State from the jump because of the the inability um, to to match up on the line. That was the difference. Um, and you're yeah. right. In in you're right in that if Mel Tucker wants to have any type of success, it's got to be here. It's got to start here. And um and 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 with that, there's one position that I think was oft neglected. Um, for oh, uh, tell me about it, John. Tell um, me, tell me all about this position that I, I'm surely not going to get upset about. And and Austin has has gone to bat for this position for years, and I think this might be the actual year where we see it become highlighted as part of the package. Because, frankly, for the first time in in my life, I've heard other people talk about this position more than Austin, and they're on the <laughs> MSU coaching. <laughs> and so they're all really excited about. Um, highlighting the tight end position at Michigan State. Who will do that? There are a couple candidates. Austin, take me through. Yeah, so this has just been a personal voyage for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, for really, I don't even know, like since Brian Linthicum, uh, this has been something where I've said the, 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 uh, the Spartans need to get more production out of their tight end. Once upon a time, it was the in the Mark D'Antonio era, it was the mo- one of the most productive offensive positions they had. I mean, you can go all the way back to Charlie Gant, like at the very beginning mm-hmm. of Dion Sims at the very beginning of the D'Antonio era, you had some really, really productive members of the offense play that position. And it was kind of a key to what they did. I mean, think about, I mean, Josiah Price, like I said, uh, Brian Linthicum. Um, I know there's others that I'm forgetting here and the names just keep going on, but um, it, it is, if you are an offense that utilizes play action and wants to run the ball and dictate the pace of play, to me, it is, it's, it's a non-negotiable thing to, that the tight end has to impact what you do and has to be a part of what you do. Really what I think happened more than anything else was MSU's run game was so ineffective and offensive line was so bad that basically they were forced to have to keep that tight end in and it became much more of a blocking position than a receiving position. And obviously that's important too. Like, you know, you, you want to have tight ends with a diverse skill set. but listen, when your offense is struggling, you need everybody to be able to contribute uh, and, and attack people in ways that they might not be ready or used to. The tight end consistently gives quarterbacks options over the middle of the field that are in you know, six to 10 yards. If you've got a quarterback that's struggling, giving them a little safety valve like that can be enormous. And for whatever reason, MSU just just totally went away with went away from that, despite having talented players like Matt Dotson. Listen, for his struggles was a talented guy. Um, I know there are others as well. But this group uh, this year is is it's a little it's a little light, but the uh, the number one perceived number one tight end, Trenton Gillison, to me is it's put up or shut up time for him. Um, yep. I mean, I've talked about him like an embarrassing amount, probably more than anybody else for the last three years, because I just think from a physical standpoint, he is, is everything you could really want in a tight end. And I think we finally started to see some of that in the, the bowl game against Wake Forest, where he had 
um, at least one really long, I think he had like a 40 yard catch kind of right down the seam where he had to make a nice athletic play over a defensive back. And then he, he was able to run a little ways after the catch. He's got some speed. He's got size. He's got hands. I mean, he, you can't make a better looking tight end in a lab than Gillison and in the offense, like you said, Jay Johnson, uh, has said that he wants to feature the tight end in this offense. Again, the Izzo analogy does seem very fitting here because we have no idea if he's being serious, like, you know, to what extent they'll take advantage of that. But um, the fact of the matter is he should, Gillison certainly as an individual is going to get more opportunities here than he's ever had at Michigan State. And I think, you know, that that goes not just for him, but for the tight end group uh, as a whole. Now, they're going to have to block if they want to play because if MSU wants to run the ball this the way they say they want to run the ball, you're going to, you're going to simply have to use your tight ends to, to help achieve some of that. Um, but assuming he's able to do that, you know, this dude can stretch the field a little bit. He's never going to be a burner, but there's no reason he can't be um, someone that helps make a big difference in, in the passing game. So uh, needless to say, very excited for, for the Trenton Gillison experience this year. Um, and again, we can point to recruiting as to why this is a kind of like what Mel Tucker wants out of his tight ends. If you look at the recruits, he's got Cameron Allen, who's a three-star uh, tight end recruit out of Texas, is is kind of more in the, if you remember him from Ole Miss, he's currently the Giants starting tight end, Evan Ingram. He's kind of in that more of that like big receiver tight end role, which really Gillison probably skews that way too. Um, but that's not something that existed at Michigan State. Even the Josiah Prices and the Deion Sims, those were not big body receivers masking as tight ends, you know. We might get to see that element a little bit more at MSU, and Gillison's going to be the first guy to get a get a crack at it. So, I, I don't know. I'm I'm pumped. <laughs> I think he's going to get a great opportunity. There's other guys I want to talk about, but curious as to your thoughts on the tight end position. Well, yeah, he he only played in five games last year. He just couldn't seem to find the field. I don't know if that was a conditioning problem, what the issue was altogether. But to your point, he had a third of his catches on the season in the pinstripe. Uh, bowl and and had over I believe 80 yards uh, receiving that game um, you'd like to see it was kind of like where did this come from um, you know he's the guy you know it, it, it's his for the taking I think is is fair um, and and to your point I think there are a couple other names that 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 are possible um, but but I don't know if if you're leaning towards Adam Berghorst um, this is a kid that they just seemingly are trying to find a way to put him on the field. Um, and whether it's at D end, tight end, whatever it is, this is kind of feeling a little bit like the Riley Bulla situation of years. Remember? And he was like the starting <laughs> running back. Like, yeah, like and that's those were dark this, times, d- dark times. Well, and in that year, I believe Jeremy Langford emerged. So, yep. you know, but I think I think the the bigger point I'm trying to make is like this is just a guy that they football guy, you know, real real mm-hmm. football, and they're trying to figure out where he fits, and it could be at tight end, especially if it's an it's a uh, position of emphasis. I'm just considering his his at he's especially athletic, um, and maybe not the size uh, that Trenton Gillison brings, but but certainly someone to, to keep an eye out for. Well, he brings the height. He checks in at six seven. I mean, I meant, he was. I, I think I meant more you know, like he, Gillison is. I mean, yeah, the girl. Too big. Like he was out of. He had a right. 
fair to say a conditioning issue. And maybe that's why he wasn't on the field. Um, yeah. th- this kid, uh, Adam, is not that, is large, tall ways, not wide ways. So, <laughs> yeah. And he, he was recruited, like you said, as a defensive end. And, and I, I think the idea when he was recruited, I remember reading about this was that he could ultimately end up at either position. So I don't think, you know, him ultimately being a tight end, which is what it appears is probably going to happen here, um, is necessarily a result of, of overwhelming athleticism or, uh, you know, Hey, we just gotta, you know, we're just looking for bodies here. I think it's, it's kind of just the natural way that his, his athletic progression has gone. And I think that that's, uh, you know, again, exciting. I think anytime you get an athlete of that, that height at a receiving position, uh, that could bring something to the table that, you know, you don't have obviously. And that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. So I do think there's a name sandwiched in between those that, mm-hmm. um, will be very interesting. And that is, uh, Matt Dotson he of many drops uh, and also he of a torn Achilles last year. Although, however, he is expected to play this year. Um, I think that is, you know, listen, Dotson was once upon a time, uh, a big time recruit viewed as a, a kind of that next generation of MSU tight end that would be able to be more of a pass receiver than, than a blocker, but uh, kind of got pushed into that blocking role. And then obviously had some uh, fairly high profile drops on his resume as well. So needless to say, the, I would say the fan confidence is not overly high, but it'll be, it'll be, you know, especially interesting to see what happens again, when the new coaching staff kind of decides what to do with him. I wouldn't expect a ton from him athleticism wise, just again, he's, he's coming off of a pretty severe injury. So, um, but I also, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see him get, get a decent amount of snaps if he's healthy and ready to go. Uh, you know, he's one, he's the only tight end with really significant, experience on this roster so this is a a position that is kind of ripe for the taking i mean if you're gillison and you can't cash in this year it's you know it it might just not be happening for you um at least you know that's that's how i look at it because they're they're handing it to you You, you're competing with a guy who was recruited as a defensive end um and you're competing with a guy who just tore his achilles so if you can't go out there and make things happen you know uh you know, when you've got another big playmaker coming in a year from now, you're, you're, it's going to be a hot seat. Um, well, but this is a position again, where it's it, it, the opportunity is there for him. Yeah. And couple that with, you know, they're making an emphasis on this position, you know? So, right. I mean, all, all Austin, you will be joined by many um, when uh, the tight end takes the field. Um, I know your eyes go straight to where, where, where the tight end is running. Um, maybe more will join you this season. Uh, I, I would like to apologize in advance to those if, if this goes the way it did before. And if not, trust me, I will gloat uh, as, as, as no one has ever gloated before because it'll just feel good to have a, a tight end catching balls again. And there's actually one other name I wanted to talk about because it, <laughs> this is one of those, unlike, you know, Berghorst actually had some tight end in his game uh, before there is a name of a player that you probably were not expecting to hear in this segment, but uh, punter Tyler Hunt is apparently getting an extended look at tight end he's because he is that listed. good of an athlete. He's listed as tight end on slash kicker slash punter on the uh, website. And I got to tell you, that's 
the most Big Ten thing I've ever seen. I was just going to say, is that the most Big Ten listing you've ever seen? Because I, I got to think that it definitely is. The only thing he might be able to do better is if it was a fullback instead. Can I um, make it but, even better? But honestly, yes. He's a walk-on. Oh, my God. It's the most Big Ten thing literally ever. The, 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 we got to put his listing in a friggin' museum because that is that is a piece of art that needs to be remembered and recognized forever. Who um, also played so quarterback this is the in high We are now. Oh my God, he's it's the Hunt Club. That's the name of his fan base. <laughs> I am now charter member of the Hunt Club. Oh man, this is too good. Yeah, Tyler Hunt, uh, 6'2", 235. <laughs> Always good to have a kicker punter that can lay somebody out or catch a rock. That's awesome. Um, you and, know I love the beefy punter. Well, and while we're here, um, he's not the only specialist with some size. Evan Morris out of Ovidelsi, Michigan, is 6'5", 235. I kick, love it. Kicker punter. I mean, we are the most – let me put it this way. I like the idea of our team having kicker punters walk off the bus first and it be intimidating. Yes, I, I could not agree with that more. I want the most intimidating special teams possible. And if there's one thing that Big Ten teams should want, it's it's just a beefcake punter. <laughs> I don't know how you get I don't know how you get better than that. You don't. You don't. So with that you let, simply do not. That ends wraps the tight end position. Next week, we will transition to the defensive side of the ball. Um, but, Austin, do you want to take get a into, break? Let's take a break. I was going to say, do you want to take a break? I think we should take a break. All right. Sounds let's good. Let's see how this goes. All right. Here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. Hey guys. All right. We're back. Um, yeah, John, what do you want to get into? Notable national results, which is probably every, it's our favorite part of the segment, even though it doesn't have a lot to do with Michigan State. It allows us to dunk on the nation, and that's what's important. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's dunk away. I, my favorite part about this is like, there's nothing. Any team can do. You could win, and we will still just just slander you on here. So, with the exception, you've earned it. With the exception to Roll Tide Alabama, don't have a lot of negative things to say about them, as they took down uh, Texas A&M 52 to 24 in a game that really wasn't that close from the jump. There's so many good parts about this game, Austin. The first for me is that Texas A&M, ranked 13th in the country, loses by 28. Also, we talked about it last week, the national trophy that is sitting in Texas A&M's trophy case 
that is engraved with everything but the year they won the national title to Jimbo Fisher, I guess it it waits another year, um, which is hysterical. I just want to know what that's going to sell for when Jimbo Fisher gets fired. Like, I'm just really interested in in the type of money we're talking on eBay here. I I also think it's great that after Jimbo Fisher was quoted after the game and said something along the lines of like, um, you know, before I came here, we didn't expect to win these games. But when I'm here, you know, now we expect to win these games. And for me, I'm like, okay, but why? Because yeah, and also like, like who wants to tell them you lost by 28 again <laughs> like you don't get to like say well i really turned it around here like didn't like manzel like beat these guys like <laughs> before he got right here. i mean that's what i'm saying like at what point do we do, do you look yourself in the mirror and say all right listen maybe the sec wasn't the best idea we've ever had maybe it's time to go back to the big 12 you want to hear a crazy stat? I do. All right, Nick Saban, you know, has won, uh, is 20-0 and 0 against former assistants turned head coach, Jimbo Fisher being one of them. 20-0. Yep. Yep. And I would love, really what I would love to see more than anything is what was the combined scoreline in those games? Like what? Oh, man. How many were scored against Bama in those games because it it just simply cannot have been many. It's pretty wild, and also I think my favorite part about Bama is that, with the exception of Jalen Hurts, and you're, you're probably going to think of like three quarterbacks at the top of your head, <laughs> but, but like how many NFL sure things has Alabama had in the dynasty run with Saban? What, of quarterback? Yeah. No, I think that's legit. Like, I think that's a very legitimate question. That's I mean, wild. I mean, no, it's in, it's insane. I mean, well, I mean, Tua. Okay, Tua. that guy matters. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. He was just there. Uh, but aside from him, I mean. Like Greg McElroy? Yeah, like he's one with Blake Sims. He's one with uh, AJ McCarron. I was gonna say McCarron was probably the other one I was I was gonna point out just because he's uh, he's still in the NFL and he has the worst name sushi restaurant on the planet, which is called Ajin A J I A N. It's real. Look it up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I forgot about that. Blake Sims, yeah. Jake Poker, you know John Parker Wilson. Brody Croyle, he's winning natties with these guys. Yeah, it's a joke. I mean, is the fact that he did, it's also crazy to me that he can't get great court like I, what great quarterback would want to go play a family. I don't know. Maybe I'm nuts. I think also, but maybe Saban's like this is him like putting in parameters to make it harder on himself. No, oh, for like, sure. 100%. You know, he's like he's on Heisman mode. Yeah, he's just like, how do I? This isn't fun anymore. Okay, here's here's an amazing thing. Alabama had had three guys that had five catch, three wide receivers that had five catches or more. John Mechie the third had 181 yards receiving and two touchdowns. He was good for 36 yards a catch. Jalen Waddle had 142 yards receiving, good for. 
a paltry 28 yards a catch and a touchdown. <laughs> Be better. Like, this is so stupid. Like, they're literally, you could just throw it to anyone. Like, they have so many athletes. It's like, it's truly an embarrassment of riches, and I love it. Like, I okay, can't. I mean, it. you're talking about, so they're, they had two receivers go in Jerry Judy and uh, Henry Ruggs the fourth. They had two receivers go in the first round last year. Uh-huh. And now if if you're a sick person like me and you're already looking at mock drafts, um, you know that between Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, who you didn't even mention right there, yep. uh, only- they're both highly – like people are saying either of them could be the first wide receiver off the board. You're talking about – last year's offense for them is going to end up having four first round wide receivers on it. Like I, I just, I'm not sure I understand how you beat that team. You, you don't, you don't, you don't, that, that is, that is the funniest part. And that's why um, Jimbo, I don't feel anything for you. Like take the L buddy. Um, also like Jimbo, just go like cry into your like uh, Scrooge McDuck, giant gold coin pile which you definitely have don't like, worry not, about Jimbo. he'll Jimbo. be fine he's got money baby um so let's move on to another sec game georgia takes down auburn 27 to 6 absolute beat down surprised me personally um maybe i was maybe a little bullish on auburn but just the fact that georgia from the jump you know dominated this game up 24 to three at halftime. I, I, this Georgia is looking every bit of a contender this week. Whereas last week against Missouri, the opposite was true. So this could be, so Georgia tuned in, turned on there. There's something, there's something there. And yes. So this was a game. I watched a good amount of this game. Um, I'm not. I'm coming out on the other end on Georgia. I don't actually think Georgia's good because I don't think I don't think Auburn's good. Okay. Um, I don't. I think I think if Bo Nix had a name that was like Greg Wallace or like something dumb like Tim yes. Jones, everybody would be like, okay, this guy sucks. Get him I out agree of here. wholeheartedly with that. So the fact of the matter is, it it's not like Georgia needed to. I don't think Bo Nix is good. And if Auburn's offense isn't humming, you know, that's that's what always kind of sets them apart as a program. So I don't really think Auburn's that good to begin with. And Georgia's quarterback, Stetson Bennett, the fourth. Yeah. First of all, just holy SEC with that name. Um, <laughs> it's an incredible amount of SEC in that name. Uh, and also, he sucks. He's not good. Like, I, I, like he's neither of these quarterbacks are good. I mean, this is a typical SEC. This is. If these SEC teams played other teams, you would realize with good quarterbacks, you'd be like, okay, so that's what a good quarterback looks like. Not okay. these two. Now, Georgia, I'll, I'll give Georgia this. Georgia's defense is really good. And I think their uh, their running game is actually pretty pretty good as well. Zamir, Zamir White is also known as Zeus White is quite good. Um, so, I mean, they're always going to have that going for them. But what's going to end up happening is they're going to end up in a game with Bama that they're going to need to score points and they're just not going to be able to do it. So so that's what I think is going to happen. I think it's really important if there are new listeners here, I think that they have to understand that this is a podcast that we make sure we make clear that nobody's good. 
That's right? also very true. Okay, so like when we say no, when we say things like Georgia's not good and Auburn's not good, it's relative in the sense that we are lumping Georgia and Auburn into the same category as Rutgers. Truly, you are either <laughs> you are either good or you are not good. Much and here's an aside. Much in the way that when when people get very shallow and say like, oh that guy, you know that guy that girl's a seven or that guy's a five, you know, listen, I don't want to hear anyone being rated on, on a hotness scale. You are either a zero or a one. Okay. I was just going to say it's, it's the old yes or no. At the end of the day, you're either interested or you are not. And um, I guess the same can be said as it relates to these college football teams you're either you're either good or you aren't. And so there are very, very few teams that we think are good. So a little context to the for the new listeners on when you say George is not good. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I do think that's a that's a that's a totally fair accusation and point. Uh, but yes, I would put them squarely in the not good category for now. Uh, of the teams I've watched this year, it's Bama. Like they Bama's good. good. I have I'll I will admit I have not watched Clemson yet I assume okay. they're also good but I, I don't know that it, I don't know where I'm willing to go on Clemson just yet but I hey, know we wanted to talk fine. about them here and and for what it's worth teams can become good it's like true they can move it Michigan State um, is a great example 2013 bad became good mm. became good took a while right so yeah so team here are a couple teams that are not good um, your Texas Longhorns mm, after, folks. after an inspiring comeback win against Texas Tech last week really fell on their face uh, to, to Gary Anderson and uh, lost 33 to 31 at home. Is it fair to say that Texas is not back? I you know what? I think it's it's fair to say they're not they're not they're not good. Um, that's just the end of the end of the story. I knew they were. I mean, listen, when you have that scare against Texas Tech, I think it's fair from then on to say you're you're never getting into the good pile unless you have like several convincing wins in a row after that. So kind of like no matter what was going to happen uh, in this game in particular, like they weren't going to be considered good. Um, and listen, they just totally shat the bed. And I don't know if you saw the play in this game that like ultimately kind of decided it. But if I remember correctly, they recovered the ball on like the three yard line and because uh, uh, the other team fumbled it and then they um, managed to get stuffed on the goal line and, and lose the game in like heartbreaking fashion, which listen, I, in that way, I think Texas is back because Texas just finds these incredible ways to lose to consistently terrible teams every single year. And in that way, they've never been more back like Sam Ellinger. Like, I don't like if you're a Texans, Texas fan, like how do you remember him? Like, I'm just not sure what his legacy is. Like he, he won them what that one, I think it was a sugar bowl or something like yep. that. And they came out and said, we're back, which I first of all, just absolutely love. Like whether yep. you're or not to, to say you are is, is all you really actually need. Um, and then aside from that, he's just like the king of a ton of disappointment. Uh, and I just wonder how he's remembered forever. 
So, but yes, so the text is bad. You're, you're, you bring up a really interesting point that the legacy of Sam Ellinger will be debated for ages, especially uh, as this season crumples in front of him. Um, but to, to go back into how this game ended, um, you know, Texas had the ball um, down four with four minutes to go in the fourth on the TCU one yard line right. and fumbled the ball. And TCU, That's what it was. Yeah. and TCU then, you know, took a safety um, to get out of Dodge, I believe, or, or either was safety. And um, Texas wasn't able to score when they got the ball back. So uh, I, I'm <laughs> which makes me remember, remember when two years ago and MSU was playing Ohio State <laughs> and MSU took the safety on purpose to get field position. Sure do. That sure. was the most Big Ten thing yes. of yeah. all time. I think, Michigan State, I think Michigan State gets underratedly Big Ten. Like Dude, I, that was I, wild. That's an incredibly, like you think of Iowa and Wisconsin when you think of like genuinely Big Ten teams. I think MSU's right up there. Like with the, the level of offensive ineptitude and, uh, the complete unwillingness to change is was really a staple of the last like five years of the D'Antonio era. And like, I'm just, I think that's as big 10 as it gets. I'm just like trying to envision a scenario where I'm explaining to like an avid football fan, like what happened. And we're like, Oh yeah. So, so we like chose to take a safety and we were, we were losing and, um, and they're like, Oh, but like, why? And you're like, well, yeah. weirdly, almost everyone kind of was like, maybe this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you know, now hey, wait a minute. Switch it up. <laughs> Who knows? It's only one conference where you'd get fans being like, now I know we just handed points away, but <laughs> this might just be cr- crazy it's, like a fox, as they say. In this, in this conference, you may value points in your conference. We value field position in this conference, okay? Above yeah. all else. I um, mean, I, some people might look at the score at the end of the game. I look at the time of possession. That is how the true measure of a man. Um, <laughs> so speaking of um, of hilarious things in the Big 12, uh, Oklahoma lost again. They lost 37 to 30, uh, which is just to Iowa State, which is just amazing um, for so many reasons. I just can't I can't get enough of Oklahoma. Of the the Big Ten versus Big 12 parallel. uh, Imagine scoring 30 points and losing. Uh, I don't know how many times that's happened to to Michigan State. Like, it, it can't be a lot. I I, I you, you had me at score 30 points. That seemed pretty great. <laughs> that, um, that, that was amazing. I, I, I look forward to Oklahoma, who is now out of the top 25 for maybe the first time in, gosh, wow. I don't know how long. Um, but giving up 37 points to Iowa State, like, come on. Come on. Like the same, the same Iowa State that a week earlier had uh, their quarterback – throw whatever do you did you see the the incompletion or the the pick six that he threw a week ago yes he threw it directly to the defense you just gave up 37 points to that team Mm -hmm. 
them. It's bad, man. Um, I don't I have to it. say. I love it. Here for it. Um, and then in the most college football thing of last week, switching gears. Yes, back to the SEC. <laughs> My Mississippi State Bulldogs. Oh, one, John. One week removed from beating the defending national champion LSU Tigers in Death Valley. <laughs> Throwing for over 600 yards and setting an SEC record that game. Turn around and lose to Arkansas 21 to 14. And I got to tell you, if you're new to the Mike Leach experience, this is incredibly on brand for him. This is an aggressive level of brand like establishment. Like, like these, these are your first two games in, and you're just like, listen, here's the fucking the kitchen sink, man. Setting the tone early. <laughs> Like, about how this is regime is going to go. Yeah, we're going to beat top 10 teams. We're going to beat national championship teams. We're also going to lose to Arkansas at home. We are going to throw We're going to lose to arguably the worst power six team this side of Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, they're up there. Power they, five. Kansas. Yeah, it's, it's right there. I mean, Costello still threw the ball 59 times. Unfortunately, three times went to the other team. This is a Arkansas is a team quarterbacked by a Florida starter, Felipe Franks. Did you know that? Yeah. Also, I saw that. Running back, Raheem Boyd. Do you remember that name? I uh, remind me. Last chance, you who was committed to Michigan oh. and then he committed and went to. Uh, the last chance you school, I believe, and is now at Arkansas wow. as, as their running back. Yeah. Um, regardless, lose Arkansas did a very Arkansas thing. Like they scored 21 points, a lot probably right. for them. But the fact that Mississippi State, I just can't wrap my head around setting an SEC record against LSU on offense at LSU, at LSU and then turning around and, and scoring 14 points, I, I don't get it. At home versus Arkansas, I, I don't get I, it. I was going to say, you, you got to wonder if the lack of cowbells played into these Arkansas players' level of comfort. Absolutely. That is the reason. Probably. Or excuse the only- me, the, the Mississippi State players' level of comfort. Yeah, I, it's, that's, I mean, like you said, I, I think – this really couldn't be more Mike Leach. And I think that that's beautiful. Nature is healing. Uh, <laughs> Mike Leach is, is blowing these games. There's um, a lot of I think, Yes. Yeah, you really got like a full KJ Costello thing too. Like mm-hmm. KJ Costello, maybe KJ Costello and Leach are just born to be together because I feel like this was the Costello experience for the most part at Stanford where some days you'd be like, wow, this five-star for a reason, future NFL guy, first-rounder, um, and then the next day you'd be like, oh, wait, he's horrible. And he's going to cost us <laughs> several games, multiple games, like is a this, lot of Is this a, I don't, it's probably unfair to say similar to a MSU versus Purdue Rocky Lombardi experience followed up by whatever happened the rest of the year. Is that similar? <laughs> I mean, it's that it that cut real deep right off the bat, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's crazy to, to say that. Um, where you're like, oh wow, get this guy in. 
he's going to be incredible. And then you're like, oh, never mind. This went bad fast. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think what we can what we can uh, what we can get excited about is the fact that there is surely more weird shit to come out of Starkville. Oh, yeah, this is if anything, it's becoming uh, appointment TV just to see what happens next. Um, let's go to our final um, review. And this is the big spiritually Big Ten game of the week. Uh, this one was was a doozy. Tulsa at uh, UCF. The Tulsa Golden Hurricane take down um, the 2017 national champion UCF Golden Knights. 34 to 26. <laughs> and I think what stuck out to me the most about this game was that at certain points in this game, the score was 16 to 2 UCF, 16 to 5 UCS, and, tw- and 23 to 5 UCF. And then they lost 34 to 26. And, you know, my, my takeaway is that welcome to the big time UCF. Like you get to saddle up at the big boy table with Texas, Oklahoma, even Clemson by dumping the bed to a nobody. Like that's what that's what blue bloods do, right? <laughs> and you and you can claim that now. You're a blue blood because you did it too. That was the long, I think, people held that against them, you know. But now they get to say, no, no, we can lose to crappy teams too, guys. And they yeah. <laughs> Never good. Yeah. When, Welcome when to Tulsa, the club. I mean, when Tulsa scores 31, uh, goes on a 31 to three run against you in the second half, like, <laughs> so. you, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say you got to start asking some questions at that point. Uh, like, what the hell is happening here? I think <laughs> would be the first one I would, I would, I would ask personally. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. Go ahead. 18 penalties this game. Oh, God, that's awesome. 18 penalties for 124 yards. I'm I'm just impressed. I'm impressed on several levels. Um, I mean, like you said, I think every major program has to go, like, if you want to be really great, you have to go through that, like, oh, we're going to be the program known for absolutely dumping the bed, like, <laughs> for a, for a while here. Like this is going to, this is going to kind of be our thing for a bit. Uh, and like, like you said, all those programs have, have gone through it at some point and you know, UCF welcome, welcome to the big show. That's like, right. It's, it's about time fellas. Saddle They're up. Here. They're here. All right, Austin, you want to talk about upcoming games? Cause there's a few, uh, actually a handful that are actually quite interesting to me. Yeah, we've got it's hard to pick out which one of these is going to be the most spiritually big uh, version. But I think there's a chance that it's Virginia Tech, North Carolina, which is the first one we wanted to talk about. Like both of team like I, I think you're going into those this one asking, is either team any good? And there's no possible way you could have a real answer for for that question, because we just have no clue. There's really no way to know. and We might never know. Coming out of this game, we will know exactly the same amount of nothing that we knew going into it. Absolutely. So I think that alone makes it spiritually big. And then add in the fact that you're like, okay, well, North Carolina's got a ton of talent because, you know, Mac Brown has brought in, you know, a different level of recruit in the past few years. In that same sentence, Mac Brown is also your coach. 
So that's also not great. Like <laughs> double-edged sword. <laughs> Got to be careful. You know, that, I don't know how that's going to play out. So uh, yeah, this game could go either way, and we'll learn nothing from it. But who knows? Maybe there's some some fun takeaways from it. Um, uh, we'll find out. Potentially Big Ten Spirit, Big Ten and Spirit game of the week might actually be the Red River Shootout. You got yeah. You know teams. what? That's a great point. Two teams, Texas and Oklahoma, where I would say this game has lost some luster this week, <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, what do you mean? <laughs> Go I, on. I think this game has all the makings of like a beautiful dumpy diaper classic. Like everything that could go wrong will happen to both teams. It's going to be so bad. In in much in the way, this has a lot of Iowa Iowa State feel for me. El Asico. Okay. This could be uh, El Asico. I like it. Like uh, El Asico South. Uh, there it that's is. fantastic. I think that's a really good call. Um, Again, neither of these teams are good, so we will learn absolutely nothing from this game. But it'll be, like you said, kind of a beautiful disaster, if you will. Uh, Just like a wonderfully terrible thing to watch. Well, we get to make fun of whichever team loses even more. (laughs) Like, Oh, right. So we get that. That we know. That much we know. All right. As you guys know, I always throw throw you an undercard game to, to keep an eye on this week's. Coastal Carolina at ranked number 23 in the nation, Louisiana, which dropped the Lafayette. It's like they got divorced Ooh. and they're like, like we're it. just Louisiana now. So they're, I think it's time to put some respect on the Chance name. Because Coastal Carolina has quietly had one of the most successful program come ups in, gosh, since Boise State. I mean, they are up to 20th all-time in win percentage. They just sneakily kind of are winning. And last week, I don't want to say it was a major upset. Like, they beat the shit out of Arkansas State last week by, like, 30. And people were like, oh, damn, okay. Because remember, again, Arkansas State, not a great team. But that team beat Kansas State. Again, not a good team. But power five, right? So, like, it's maybe it's time to put some respect on the Shant's name. I'm and at the very least, they're all teal, and I'm, I appreciate being different. I can definitely support the all teal movement here. And I would agree. The Shants, if you see their logo, it's also like a very muscular chicken, which I yeah. think is something that we can all agree is is cool pretty much no matter what. Um, you love to see the muscular chicken making an appearance whenever possible. Uh, and, and yeah, I would agree. If you can get your, get your way up there, you know, maybe they're in line for the next time that things kind of, you know, open up and, and there's some spots available, you know, when Texas and Oklahoma inevitably get relegated uh, for somebody to jump up into one of those power I'm, five spots in the chance. I'm just you know? saying, man, this is my new I mean, squad for this year, you know, for the foreseeable I mean, future. Yeah. I'm in, and I also love that, you know, listen, if there if there's a conference that could really use someone random coming in and being fun, it's the ACC, not the Big Ooh. 12, like I said, the ACC, which is there's where no way they're, they would ever like they're located. I don't know. That's a That might be a bridge <laughs> too far. But, 
Who knows? I'm in. Okay. Um, a couple other ones. Here's a game. Um, I don't know what to make of. Always a good start when you just when you start with, there, here's, here's a football. Game. Here's a game. Number 14, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. What, Is it what fair I to ask could go wrong with Tennessee being ranked highly. I just, I wonder. I can't imagine anything coming back to haunt them about this. Is it fair to call someone a fraud before they're even, like, proven fraudulent? Like, there's something fishy here that Tennessee is ranked so high. Uh, I mean, you're telling me it doesn't feel like 98 to you? (laughs) It's just been a few decades removed since greatness. Tennessee, 2-0 on the year, um, wins at South Carolina by four, and to a lifeless Missouri team by 23 i guess like have at it i don't i don't care i i I just have a hard time with this one like i just how could this be a marquee matchup who knows i'm hoping that georgia sets the world straight here yeah i mean i think if if you could be confident in one thing it's it's probably should be that um tennessee is just like you said like it you can count on certain things in the world and Tennessee choking uh, a big opportunity is absolutely one of them. Um, I will say again, this is, this is not a great Georgia team, but this is also absolutely the type of Georgia team that Tennessee would lose to where you know exactly what they're going to do to you and what they can't do. And you still just can't do anything about it or stop it in, in any way, shape or form. I kind of feel like that's exactly what we'll get. I just hope that, you know, the, the trash can comes back. Oh, Remember my had that trash God. can a couple of years ago. That was always fun. So the champions of life as they were. We need to we haven't taken a lot of time this season to to talk about the different sideline antics, um, which are important more than ever before with no or limited fans. Recently, I saw bottle service for the turnovers um, with full confetti cannon. Um, that's incredible i did not see that pretty great stuff tennessee as you were alluding to had a trash can (laughs) in which the players were asked to dunk the ball they got off the field into that lasted one game when twitter literally (laughs) destroyed them for it and they well, I mean, listen, you hold a trash can up on the tennessee sidelines the conclusions make themselves i'm not (laughs) sure what they they really were expecting out of that. Um, but I, I will never forget it because it made me laugh so hard. And the picture still makes me laugh. Or just there's another one where someone, I think it's Penn State, where they're just waving a white flag <laughs> on the sidelines. That always makes oh. me laugh. Too. It's like, come on, guys. All right. And then the final game that we wanted to highlight um, is actually a bigger spread than Georgia-Tennessee, which was a 12-point uh favorite for the for georgia clemson is a 14 point favorite against number seven miami florida that seems like a lot doesn't it it does but i think i would still feel confident putting money on clemson like i i, I know dear king is good i know russo is good it's the you but at the same time like we want to give texas and, and oklahoma shit for for sucking after you know yeah. uh 
after rising slowly, you know, to, to what they feel is like old glory. Like Miami's been as bad as anybody. Like they had yeah. one kind of fun year and I think they won eight games. Like they haven't been good in a really long time. It's true. Um, it's true. Yeah. You might still play in the ACC. Like let's, let's, I, I'm, I need to see so much more from, from any program in the ACC before I give them any kind of benefit of the. That's obviously Clemson aside. Well, and I think this is your opportunity to watch Clemson, you know, before, you know, I wasn't going to tune into a Clemson, you know, Boston college. What's up? Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry, my headphones died there for a second. Uh, But I was just saying, I need to see more from somebody uh, aside from Clemson in order to think that the ACC is any good. No, that's fine. I think this is a reason to tune in to watch Clemson. You mentioned you hadn't seen them yet. At least you can watch them um, take on a, a reasonable, a, perhaps even potentially good opponent, who knows, um, in Miami instead of having to watch them play Boston College at 11 a.m. or something. So, um, a, you know, a reason to watch Clemson, at the very least to watch um, future number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence uh, play. So, with that, um, I'll give you one bonus one. Notre Dame plays Florida State. Tune in for the last. <laughs> if it was 1995, that would just be an incredible game. Yeah, well, it's not. And Florida State's really, really, really bad. <laughs> so yeah. enjoy. Really, really bad. I mean, I hope Florida State fans are kind of like, I know they're notoriously insane, but like, yeah, it, part of me is like, kind of it not enjoy being this bad but like understand it appreciate it like you're going through the worst of it right now and then when it gets better it's so awesome like msu fan again this is somebody speaking out of a a sad amount of experience like when it turns around man there is nothing better so here's to hoping maybe not for florida state but for michigan state that we're able to get to those uh good days once again here pretty soon all right, man. So we promised last week we were talking, we would talk hoops this week, but sometimes we break promises, don't we? Yeah, you guys should be used to that by now. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna wait. Yeah, we're gonna wait till the season uh, non-con schedule is is decided. There are two games still open, um, and once we get those, we will be sure to do a full non-con preview. Um, maybe as soon as next week. Yeah, next week. Well, next week, we'll definitely continue our position previews. Uh, like you said, we'll get probably into some hoops here as soon as we got some more substantial news. And then, uh, yeah, guys, only, what, three weeks until the season. So we'll actually start doing player or, uh, team previews here shortly as well. So um, Austin, Austin. Yes. You know what that means? It means uh, we bring back everyone's favorite segment, Why Your Program Stinks. Ah, uh, yes. Certainly a favorite on this program. Uh, well, we're, at least we're, we ask, my favorite thing to do certainly is clown other teams <laughs> as we just did with non-con teams. So very, very excited about that. So get your roast ready, people. Yeah. If you're a new listener, um, we ask you to let us know why the team we're about to play stinks. So Rutgers, you, you're on the clock. Man, this one's easy. It's gold. John. What's that? I said, starting with gold. I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, it's almost too easy. I wish it was actually a little more difficult, but at the same time, you know, it's 2020 and, you know, we deserve layups. So some easy wins here. Let's take it. I agree. 
All right, guys, as always, thank you for sticking with us. This was a fun one. Uh, for John, this has been Austin, and we'll catch you all next week. See you.